0: This is Transistor.FM.
1: This episode is brought to you by ProfitWell.com. ProfitWell gives you free subscription metrics. We use this here at Transistor to track our SaaS metrics. All you have to do is plug in your billing system, Stripe, Zuora, Braintree, ChargeBee, Recurly are all supported, and you get free access to your MRR, Churn, cohorts. You can run all sorts of reports on there. Plus, you'll get to see these great emails that we've been talking about that show you how close you are to your revenue goals. Sign up at ProfitWell.com.
0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to Build Your SaaS. This is the the behind-the-scenes story of building a web app in 2019. I'm John Buddha, a software engineer, and
1: I'm Justin Jackson. And I, I can't believe it's 2019. Actually, <laughs> we're we're halfway through 2019. Oh, uh, follow along as we build Transistor FM. 2019 still feels so new. It does. Wow, well, I, it still kind of feels like 2018 to me.
0: I know. I almost I almost say that every time.
1: When did we start this company? <laughs> uh like you and i when did we sign our partnership uh january
0: 2018 january
1: 2018 okay yeah so we this is a this is a 2018 Mm. story a story that started in 2018
0: yeah officially in 2017
1: officially in 2017
0: in case i was i i was i had to fill out a bunch of Paperwork for the state of Illinois. Mm-hmm. And the actual incorporation date was in May of twenty seventeen.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's gonna be when it, those <laughs> dates will get hazy as we as we go yeah. along. But uh yeah, and we launched August 2018. Yeah. So it's hard tracking all these things. So we're actually coming up this August will be our one year anniversary of launching. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it, it, some days it feels like I've been doing this for 30 years. <laughs>
0: I don't know if that's a good or bad thing.
1: I don't know. It just you get so used to it, you know? Yeah. One thing I've been trying to synthesize is the feeling we've had launching Transistor and comparing it to the other projects I've done and the other SaaS businesses I've run. Mm-hmm. Do, do you do a little bit of this too?
0: Yeah, I do.
1: And also comparing it to uh, you know businesses that my friends run and uh, businesses that have open metrics on the internet. And one of the reasons people listen to this show is they're building their own product, and I'm I'm always kind of thinking about how can we be helpful. In, you know, as we're going through this journey, how can we be helpful for folks? And so I've been writing a lot about um, basically what it means to choose a good market lately. Mm-hmm. And I've had, I think, the last three blog posts on my personal site, justinjackson.ca, have been on this, and I've been tweeting about it a lot. And probably, I've probably spent too much time. Talking about this and then sometimes arguing about this <laughs> on Twitter. So, if you'll allow me, John, I just wanted to go through some of my thinking on this. And I will, I will allow it. <laughs> you know, you one of the great things about working with you is that you don't let me. Um, you, you're okay to push back on on my ideas. So, if if uh, if you want to push back a bit, that's fine too. It has felt different launching Transistor. And there's this feeling that's difficult to describe when you launch something and there's just a lot of momentum in the market. So I've had businesses where, you know, I launched a product or I mean, I've I've had businesses since I was in high school and then I ran a couple of skateboard shops in my early 20s um, I worked for a snowboard manufacturing company. I've had all these experiences, and then I've got into digital products and working for software companies and launching my own book and courses and other things. Yeah, it's, it's been interesting to contrast those experiences with what is happening now. And the way I, I kind of described it was, uh, have, have you ever gone fishing?
0: Yeah, all the time. Okay. Oh, you're a fisherman? Well, per- not all the time. Yes okay. I've gone fishing quite a bit.
1: Okay, so the last like five things I've written have fishing metaphors in them, but I am not a big fisher <laughs> so so you can certainly poke holes in in anything I'm about to say, but have you ever gone fishing and been in the same spot all day and only had a few nibbles?
0: Yeah, I mean nor- yeah, normally nothing is caught.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. And so I was thinking about that feeling because I've had a few experiences where we've gone out and you sit in the boat all day and it's just like you're sitting in the boat and nothing is happening. And I've also had the experience of going out uh, on the ocean once and it was like every time we cast out our rod, we caught a fish.
0: Yeah. But did, did that person have radar? Sonar? <laughs>
1: John, you're really fucking with my metaphor here. <laughs>
0: I know what you're saying though. Yeah.
1: So, I think, you know, that that feeling that people can have is similar in a lot of ways to launching a business and I've definitely had experiences of feeling like I launched this thing out there and it just doesn't feel like anything's happening and I'll try all sorts of lures, I'll try all sorts of bait, I'll try, you know, different spots, but no matter what I try, it just doesn't work. And I think that the same thing and the same feeling applies to business. In business and in fishing, the problem is almost always related to one of these things. So number one, wrong market. So you're targeting the wrong fish. You might be I don't know. You might be, it might be salmon fishing season, but you're targeting perch. Yeah. Um, Wrong spot. So you're not where the fish are hanging out or wrong bait. You're not offering them something that they want.
0: Right. Can I add another one to that? Sure. Yeah. What if the fish aren't feeding?
1: Or wrong time. So, yeah. Okay. Explain that a little bit more, actually. I don't.
0: Uh, I've. Mostly gone fishing with my dad, and it's, it's been a while, but he, uh, he f- goes fly fishing a lot. Mm-hmm. That is really dependent on the time of day and like the weather and when the fish are actually feeding. Because mm-hmm. if you're casting you know, a fly out and they're not feeding, you're not going to catch anything. Mm-hmm. But the fish might be there. They're just like hiding.
1: Yes. And, and this reminds me of something Jordan Gall said, which was right market, right product, right time. You really need all three. And so with fishing, it would be right place, right bait, right time. I know it, it, it sounds cliche, but the only way to get the fish you want to catch is to find out which waters they're congregating in, what kind of bait they like to eat, and I guess in your case, what time they are feeding. And you know, as I've thought about all my business experiences, as I've reflected on my friends and the other businesses I've seen, it seems like if you can't find fish or customers, it's because a the fish you want are exceedingly rare. I think there's this uh, this golden what's it called golden perch. I'll, I'll find the I'll find the actual um, golden <laughs> trout. So the golden trout is a small fish that lives ten thousand feet above sea level in California's Sierra Nevada mountains. So just to get to these Alpine lakes, you you need to backpack or horseback in, and they're elusive. So a lot of folks will make the five-mile hike and be disappointed because they can't catch this fish. It's just really hard to catch. And it feels like in business, there that happens too. Sometimes folks choose a, a target market that's just really elusive. It's difficult yeah. to... Um, to uh, reach in an efficient way, and so, uh, so yeah, that's number that's A, and then uh, B. The fish you want are sorry, exceedingly rare is A. The fish you want are hard to catch is B. The fish you want are inaccessible is C, and the fish you want don't congregate in groups where you'll have a chance to catch them. So, you know maybe. Uh, I think the the blue marlin is like this, like they're in the ocean, but it's just really hard to find them. <laughs> it's like a big ocean and they're not congregating in groups like some other fish might. So, you know, there are some fish that all feed together and you can just go out and cast and you can, you know, pull in, for example, salmon all day long. Yeah. I was actually I didn't get a lot of pushback from this, but I did get a little bit of pushback and I think it was me My, me saying that, you know, for us and a lot of other businesses I see, you increase your chances of success if you fish where there's a lot of fish. Mm -hmm. And the idea there is like, if your total addressable market worldwide is a million it's going to be, theoretically, and you're fishing in that body of water, let's say, there's a million there's a million trout in your lake. Well, there's going to be a much higher chance that when you cast, you're going to pull out trout. As opposed to, I guess we could take that that golden, what did I say, <laughs> the golden trout. Um, you know, the, you could go and cast all day for that fish, but they are just not as many of them out there. And... It feels like the market you choose is one of the most important kind of foundational decisions you'll make. And you could have an incredible market with really hungry fish and give them a mediocre product and still do okay. But conversely, I think you could have an incredible product. But a really terrible market, and it doesn't matter how good the product is, if the market is bad, it's going to be hard to have any sort of success.
0: I mean, I would agree with that. I'm not going to argue with that.
1: (laughs) Oh, and this was the other thing that was a little bit um, controversial, was that I think it's a good sign if you're at a fishing spot and you see good anglers pulling out fish. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, this means that with the right bait and the right skill, you can catch fish too. And there, the, some of the pushback I got was folks saying, well, in a niche with very few competitors, it's actually better. So if you show up in a niche and there's not very many competitors, that's a good sign because you can own the niche. You can, you know, you can be the only one there. And what I was pushing back against was, first of all, I think we've, overestimated how small of a niche you can have on the, on the internet. Mm
0: -hmm. Like there's
1: this idea that, you know, uh, because of the internet is so big, any niche will do. And I I just don't think that's true. And obviously I'm talking in generalities, but it just doesn't feel like any niche will do. If you are targeting, and I think this is the example I gave before, but you know, uh, people with pet turtles that want little knitted caps for their pet turtles. You know, that's already a small market. I don't know how many turtle owners there are in the States, but it's already a smaller market than, say, dogs or cats. And then you're you're narrowing it even more. Like, we are only targeting the people that want little knitted caps for their turtles. (laughs) And maybe that's a straw, man. Like, maybe I'm just giving a ridiculous example, but... I just don't think that any niche will do. And I also think generally, especially for bootstrappers, that if you show up in a market and there are no competitors, I think that's a bad sign.
0: Except somebody has to be first.
1: Somebody has to be first, yeah. How many times does that happen though?
0: Like yeah, not that often.
1: Like what businesses were first that we even can think of? Blackberry? Were they? Um, I think that, I mean, yeah, maybe Palm was the first, Palm wasn't the first to the smartphone market. I think it was BlackBerry and then Nokia had a smartphone shortly after. And so, you know, I, I think we also overestimate the importance of being first. Uh, I think being first can help a lot. Uh, you know, in some ways Basecamp was first and that's been a or early, we'll say. Yeah. Being early is definitely an advantage, uh, in some cases.
0: Yeah, but even that I think even if you're first you're you're now kind of in the in the boat of trying to create demand mm-hmm. where there where there might not be any. I mean, you know, Basecamp was, was scratching their own itch mm-hmm. and obviously built a good product that people really wanted to use, but like I don't know, was that was that market there even? Yeah. Or, or did they sort of build it up over time with these you know, they had the blog posts and just how they
1: That's an interesting question. you know, when they launched their enemy was Microsoft Project. Okay. And so they I think took a lot of customers from Microsoft Project, which kind of brings up another interest another I thing I hadn't thought of, which was you know, about thirty eight percent of our customers switch to us from a different provider. Mm-hmm. And if you don't if you don't have that, if there's not an existing market already there that can switch to you from a different provider. Right. I think that's a, a huge disadvantage. You have to do so much education work and so much you basically have to create the whole market yourself. That's,
0: I mean, yeah, we I, I think we were in a a good spot for all of the all the points you made, right? It's um the market the time what was the other one um uh, good product good market good timing yeah
1: yeah and again i don't want to i'm really trying to be careful not to uh, uh you know thump our own chest too too strongly here because trust me john and i are petrified <laughs> that <laughs> that all of the growth we've had so far is going to disappear but and we are just one data point but i do feel like there's something here and the more again the more i dig into other friends and entrepreneurs i know and their story and their numbers like they'll show me their financials the more i look at bare metrics open startups the more i ask patrick campbell um who is the the ceo of profitwell he's got tons of data in the background as well you know as i'm talking to all these folks about you know what does the data show and anecdotally what do we see it just feels like the market is so important and i think there's something counterintuitive about that now which is you know no i want to be the only one and i want to be in a niche where there is no competition and this even this idea of niching down and you know on the internet i could just i could choose anything and and make it work yeah, and I, I, I just want to put up some caution flags to say, I don't think that's true, and maybe sometimes there are exceptions, but especially if you're bootstrapping, I think you need to pay so much attention to the market—not just how many there there are of them, but you know uh, how hard are they to catch. Uh, some markets just are—you know—they've got more money and they're mo- more motivated. And they're easier to reach than others, and it would be a shame, you know, for folks to waste time as I did in some ways. I, I think about this a lot in terms of like local businesses because you really see this with a local business. There's a yeah. there's a potato restaurant that just closed down here in my town, and again, we got about thirty thousand people. This guy made baked potatoes, and I loved I loved this place. It was like quick, go get a baked potato, but most people I knew could only have a baked potato may- maybe every month. And his, it was just too, big, too small of a niche. Yeah. It's a small town, and then he's chosen this very distinct niche, which is baked potatoes. That's part of what I'm reacting to here is, man, when the market is small, there's a lot of things get, that get harder. Whereas, you know, there's a few restaurants here that sell fries— and you can basically sell fries all year long uh, you know all day long yeah to anybody
0: well that kind of made me think of our donuts big in canada mhm oh huge yeah so yeah i mean you know that they got even bigger in the last few years mm-hmm. especially you know everywhere really but in chicago there's obviously a lot of donut shops but there's one that opened and it was like it, it just sort of like focused on weird donuts yes like they had they had some normal ones but it was like you know the, the bacon-covered maple whatever donut. Yeah. And, like, they were good, Mm -hmm. but you can only eat those so often. Yeah. And then this other place came in called Stan's Donuts, and, like, there's lines out the door still all the time, and this other place closed all its doors. Yeah. Like, they just, they closed up. Like, I think people just got, there just wasn't enough demand for weird donuts. Yes. Like, give me, like, a glazed or, like, an old-fashioned donut any day.
1: Yes. Yeah. So, you. What you're saying is that the the shop that just has glazed and old fashioned that sells kind of the staples that appeals to the biggest audience they're doing okay.
0: Yeah, they're doing great. I mean, they're great. Mm-hmm. Like, they have a lot of locations, and you know it's always busy no matter almost what time of day it is. It doesn't even matter. Yeah. But uh, and they still have a few weird donuts, but like they don't focus exclusively on the weird donuts.
1: Yeah, and as a counterpoint to that ratio here in Vernon. They do Donut Friday, so they do crazy donuts, but only one mm. day of the week, and uh, that's working really well for them. But the owner Andrew, he knows if he does donuts every day of the week, it would lose its appeal, right?
0: Yeah, I mean it's probably a big drawing point.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. The example that Jason Cohen, the founder of WP Engine, that he gave this example of, you know, choosing a small niche market is tempting. But where there's no competition, you know, like, okay, I'm going to choose a small niche market, no competition. But he said, you know, it sure is easy to sell ice cream on a crowded beach on a hot day, even if there are five other ice cream stands. Yeah. And this idea of going where the people are and there's momentum, and maybe that's the part I don't want to lose like maybe if there is this small like total market of a thousand people worldwide, and they're super excited, and there's so much momentum, and they all congregate in the same place, and they're easy to reach, maybe you should go after that niche. But generally, I think you want to go where there's a lot of people hanging out, and there's momentum, there's excitement, there's movement, there's there's something going on, and just that feeling of sitting by a river all day and not getting any bites versus sitting, you know, in this ocean liner and I, we were just casting all the time and getting all these fish is such a different feeling. And I think it's something worth at least thinking about if you're building your own business.
0: So you've been arguing on Twitter all day?
1: Oh, no, not just all day. Uh-huh. This has been like oh. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, uh, Monday. That's, yeah,
0: That's what the Internet's for, right?
1: Yeah, I've been... I've been spending a lot of time on this, and maybe it's too much. I I I, I don't know. Uh, and I certainly these folks that I'm debating with. I hope that they're not like upset. Like I totally respect them and where they're coming at, but it just feels like there's something here that. And podcasts are sometimes good for kind of filling in some of that nuance. So. It'd be interesting to hear what folks at home think if there's if they've had different experiences or, uh, you know, they feel like, you know, maybe there is some truth to this. I, I think the the primary thing that's motivating me is I just have some friends that own local businesses and that own internet-based businesses, and I've seen this happen. And I've seen this happen in my own life of just like sitting on the shore and you're not getting any bites and how frustrating it is. And I just think so much of it has to do with the fish you're choosing to go after and whether you're in the right spot to get those fish and if those fish are easy to catch at all. And so if you're if you are frustrated like that, I think it, it's worth figuring out if this is a market problem. And maybe it's not. Maybe it's a product problem, maybe it's a timing problem. But in most cases, it seems like the most significant lever lever <laughs> the most significant lever is the size of the market and the momentum in that market
0: yeah and i think i think we sort of stumbled upon it and and yeah i think it's probably good to step back and actually give it some thought as to like why yeah why our numbers keep going up mm-hmm. <laughs> i mean you know, obviously, I think I'm, I'm biased. I think we built a, a great product, but, mm-hmm. but yeah, you know, we definitely, we definitely hit in a market at the right time.
1: Yeah, there's this fellow on Twitter that's doing this interesting analysis on all the barometrics metrics open startups, and he basically thinks he can graph um, what our ceiling will be for MRR, hmm. and it's pretty interesting. I'll, I'll link to it. Um, so, he, and some of these numbers could change, but he uses our net churn rate and um, current average revenue per user to determine what our the ceiling on our monthly recurring revenue will be. And right now, I think it 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 levels off at $100,000 monthly okay. recurring revenue. And uh, he says, uh, wow, talk about Headroom. Transistor is in a great place to continue growing. The other awesome thing about transistor is that this maximum is very misleading. Oh, if you look at their customer growth rate, it's clearly trending up and to the right. So, um, so each month their maximum MRR is going to grow higher and higher until their signups level off to a steady pace, and that might not be qu- for quite a while. So, yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, uh, all this stuff is interesting, and I, having been on, <laughs> again, having been in some with some products that did not grow like this and did not feel like this, it just feels like, man, I I can see how the market determines most of your growth. That's a That's a quote from Sahil at Gumroad. He says, the market you're in will determine most of your growth. And it feels like every month that passes, that just becomes more real to me. <laughs> so anyway, hopefully that's, helpful or at least thought-provoking and uh, yeah we'd love to hear from you if you've got comments on that. Uh, John has got some (laughs) some things to say about integrations but first I want to say thanks to another new sponsor Redash. Redash is a business intelligence tool for people who love SQL. Connect your database, query, visualize and share your data in minutes. So here's the use case. You need to report on your weekly goals and metrics You know, for a meeting. Redash helps you grab that data and send it to the right stakeholders, whether that's the, your investors, the CEO, whoever. They're a bootstrapped and open source SaaS, so you are supporting a small business while having no lock-in. If you know SQL, you can go from nothing to a dashboard in 30 minutes or less. And anyone who mentions that they came through this podcast gets 50% off for the first three months. You can try it at redash.io.
0: I had not heard of them before. I'm going to have to give that a try sometime. Yeah,
1: well, that's why...
0: Seems seems pretty cool.
1: That's why they're on a podcast, so people can yeah. go, hey, I haven't heard of that. i got to check that out. <laughs> I actually want to check this out because databases are a complete mystery to me. And when I looked at their site, I was like, you know what? It feels like... I could use this, and maybe it's the kind of thing I need someone to set up a few queries for me to start. But yeah, it uh, the visualizations especially uh, look really really useful, and it looks like oh wait I could kind of like manipulate some of this stuff. So yeah, yeah definitely check it out, Redash.io. Uh, so tell me cool. <laughs> about. <laughs> About what you've been thinking lately, something you've been wrestling with a
0: little, a little bit yeah lately. i I don't know if it just sort of came to a head recently, but um you know we we try to expand the the basics of podcasting by adding external integrations to other services right so mm-hmm. we have we have these services where we can auto post uh your episodes to youtube like convert it to a video mm-hmm. post it to youtube via the api we can um auto tweet when a new episode comes out mm-hmm. uh we can you can uh hook your account up to your your show your podcast up to uh spotify and have it automatically show up in spotify and then get um analytics uh back you know we have like mailing list integrations yeah um, things like that, and that's all you know. Generally done through these external third-party APIs that these services run.
1: Mm-hmm. And th- this kind of goes along with a narrative, which is you know integrations are good. Like you want to give your customers integrations.
0: Yeah, they're great. I mean, it it really. I'm not saying they're a bad thing. Obviously, like the internet is not running on APIs these days and integrations and everything t- is talking to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but the flip side (laughs) lately it's uh i'm looking at our error reporting dashboard uh, which generally is is pretty low but it's almost all entirely from these integrations so it's like you know these errors pop up from youtube or twitter or spotify and you can tell like how many times it occurs Mm -hmm. and they kind of look in the details uh we're using sentry.io uh to do all of our error reporting and uh almost all of it are just like edge cases or like weird things that happen with APIs that you can't really predict sometimes so it's like uh let's give an example of YouTube so if someone hooks their podcast up to YouTube they have to choose a playlist for it to upload to mhm then in you know in our app in the background we're automatically scheduling these episodes to upload to YouTube when they go live mhm Meanwhile, uh, let's say that person goes into their YouTube account and deletes the playlist. But that we don't have it set up to necessarily notify our app that it's deleted. So now like every time that video is going to try to be uploaded it's like no playlist ID. Oh yeah. Does, doesn't exist and then there's an error. It's like dependencies now, on dependencies. And now it's like how do we how do we report that back to the customer in a meaningful way? How do we how do we figure out a way to for these people to like reconnect to a new playlist or reinitiate these videos to be uploaded if they want, or or just disconnect it automatically? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Spotify has some some weird things with their API where it's like, you know, they, you can't submit a show with a duplicate name. Um. Yeah. Twitter Twitter doesn't let you tweet the same exact tweet more than once, which obviously you shouldn't be doing that um and we ignore those but like
1: but you have to account for all of that that just creates all it. of these edge cases
0: yeah it's like you can't you know you build these things initially and you can't really predict every exact way someone is going to use these things or or every you know requirement from the API and most of most of them have good documentation but mm-hmm. uh there's always just external events that are out of your control and like the, this past weekend or maybe it was friday or forget which day. YouTube was down for like two hours. Oh, I heard
1: about this.
0: So I think it was more than just YouTube. It was like a bunch of Google APIs were just down. Yeah. Um, and they didn't really work. And like we, you know, we we have these videos that get scheduled to be uploaded. And then it's, you know, if you're in our dashboard, you can tell that they're being processed. But like it didn't really handle that well. Mm-hmm. So like these things were just failing in the background. But it said they were processing. And people were like, where are our videos? How do I resubmit it. Yeah. Of which there is no way to do it. Yeah. So like, uh, it just, it ends up causing confusion, I think, mm-hmm. on the customer's end and quite a bit of, um, like customer support requests that, that, you know, you can't, you might not necessarily be able to handle.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, this has made me actually rethink this idea of, integrations because there is there's certainly some utility for the customer but for 80 percent of our customers the thing that's the most important is please publish my audio into my rss feed and have that go out to all of the podcast players that support the rss feed and that is really what i want
0: yeah that's it i mean that's yeah, that's the the basic product, right? And we kind of decided to add these things on as kind of nice to haves. Yeah. But but it sort of can kind of get in the way of like the the core of the product and and like improving that.
1: Yeah, I think I I especially kind of regret the YouTube one. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a bit it's a bit of a resource hog. I mean, I guess at some point we could reevaluate it i mean it's not like we have to have it
1: yeah i think people i think people like it and again this is where it gets tricky because the reasons people like things are sometimes more emotional than rational although sometimes there's rational reasons like if you have millions of youtube subscribers and you want them to get your podcast every once in a while in a special podcast playlist that would make sense but mm. Anecdotally, when I go and look at, you know, folks that have that are cross-posting their podcast to YouTube, not just from us, but from any podcast hosting company, the plays on those videos are very low. And so mm-hmm. if you're if you're doing this in hopes of getting more distribution, it's actually not helping, it, it seems in most cases. Uh, we also don't have a way of including those views in your podcast analytics, and right. so it's it's just again like I think maybe there's a few edge cases where it really is worthwhile for the customer to have that integration live, but I in, in retrospect I'm like uh, I also think that. I We need to be careful in the future about implementing things. This isn't always a good rule, but just implementing things that we really believe in. And I think if I had, and actually you're good at this, you're good at questioning me about whether I really believe in this thing I'm proposing. Because I think if I'd thought about it for a bit, I'd be like, Like, I never listen to podcasts on YouTube. I don't know anybody else that does. I don't know anybody who has a show where YouTube, like, just uploading audio to YouTube is a significant driver for their show. I don't personally like that experience of seeing a bunch of just thumbnails in my YouTube subscriptions. And so. Yeah, I think there's something about that integration in particular that in retrospect feels like a mistake, even though it's really popular. It is, yeah. So, yeah, I, I think this is, <laughs> I think that's, it's a good, uh, maybe another good warning for our fellow, uh, you know, SaaS compatriots that uh, there's this narrative that integrations and investing in integrations is a good thing. It's like always a net win, Because, you know, more people will want to use your app. You're making it more powerful. Sometimes they'll promote you, you know. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: But, yeah, I think, and and then again, with Spotify as well, you know, it's hard to figure this out. Like, we kind of needed to have Spotify out of the gate because they weren't, the only way to get into Spotify was if your hosting provider had an integration with them but now spotify has released this dashboard where you can submit yourself and it just doesn't seem that big of a deal
0: right yeah it's yeah
1: but meanwhile we have to do all the support for this
0: <laughs> and it does it does sometimes feel like we're doing support for spotify
1: mm-hmm. well and did i don't know if you saw this but uh so npr did something funky to all their Podcast feeds. Did you hear about that? I did. So the founder of Breaker was just mentioning that, like that caused their support team an enormous amount of work.
0: Yeah, yeah, because yeah, because I the customers don't they don't know whose fault it is. Like they're not going to contact NPR.
1: Yeah, well, and they might not even realize it's NPR's problem. And like in their mind, when they open up the app and you know this american life doesn't play that's like a problem with the app and it could be that's the thing like you would as a customer i might do the same thing i might be like contact the podcast player and go hey what's going on here you know uh, right. this american life isn't playing but it's not in this case it wasn't their fault but they really had to assume the burden of all of that support so I think there's, yeah, the more you kind of increase these dependencies with other folks. The other thing is, and actually this would, <laughs> I hate to say this, this would almost be a blessing now, but uh, the, the, the risk is sometimes you can integrate with folks and, you know, your customers really love that integration, but then the partner, the integration partner can deprecate that API, um and all of a sudden your something your customers have come to rely on is no longer available.
0: Yeah, and you have to find a workaround or just kind of sunset it.
1: Yeah, so I mean, there's certain ones that seem to be just far less hassle. Like our integration with all of the email service providers, Mailchimp and ConvertKit, those yeah. basically just work and they work as intended. And there's not really any problems with those ones they they're and they're not resource heavy i don't think i can't think of anyone i've had a problem very very few customer support requests Mm -hmm. so it probably depends on the nature of these things but yeah it's it's something to consider uh and if uh yeah if our listeners have had maybe they have their own horror stories they want to share but I think it's something kind of keeping in mind. And the other thing I was thinking about was if you if your business depended entirely on one of these platforms. Like Shopify was down the other day too. Did you hear about that?
0: Oh, no, I didn't.
1: Shopify was down for hours and hours and hours. And so, you know, all my friends that I know that run businesses on Shopify which in some ways is a great business. Like you've got this captive market of hundreds of thousands of stores that are spending money on Shopify. And if you offer them something they want, they'll pay you as well. Mm -hmm. But the downside, the risk is if Shopify goes down, your business goes down too. It's kind of like they take everybody down with them.
0: Yeah, uh, that'd be a tough spot to be in. Yeah, as a provider, I mean, that'd be,
1: yeah, yeah, like and, so, and so they were just, you know, tweeting to their customers and emailing their customers and saying, you know, we're Shopify's down, it's affecting us too. But they basically just had to wait for Shopify to get.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's their, it's pe- when it's people's livelihoods too. It's man.
1: Yeah, and this is kind of where. The so there is downsides to what we're doing. We're very similar to, you know, email service providers and that we're built on this open standard. So email is an open internet standard and RSS is an open internet standard. The disadvantage is we end up doing a lot of support hmm. for a lot of different clients, you know, like yeah. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, etc.
0: Yeah. And you, you want to help, but you also sort of sometimes just want to be like, Here's a here's a document. Go read it. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Yes, but the I think the advantage of this open distributed um, system is that if Apple Podcasts goes down and it has, it's not affecting every single podcast listener, and no. it, it's yeah. it's not like uh, this isn't a huge deal. Uh, the other thing that's helpful is that uh, we actually have this offline component, which means most folks. Have already downloaded the episode to their podcast player, kind of in the background, and so let's say Apple Podcasts goes down, it's not a huge deal if you've got podcasts to listen to. So, yeah, the, all these things are interesting. There's there are, um, what do you call it? pros and cons to lot to all these things, right?
0: Yeah, and I I will say as a developer. Uh- I actually I enjoy building these things like they're fun. The integrations. It's, yeah, it's like oh man this is cool I can do this and then it's on here and you can do this and mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. automatically does this but um there's always a, yeah there's definitely a downside to it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think going forward we will definitely be more wary.
0: <laughs> yeah. More wary, more I don't know, more more testing of the thing if we ever get around to building something new. Um I think for the scenarios I talked about with Spotify, mainly and YouTube, like both of the solutions for that are similar in that you're giving better feedback to the customer and sort of giving them an option to like redo something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When when it messes up, which is not something that um, transistor handles super well at the moment.
1: Yeah, 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 exactly. And, again, I think we'll evaluate that stuff. Maybe, you know, maybe one way to test it that would be interesting is to just remove the YouTube feature from all new accounts and mm-hmm. see what happens. Yeah. Because uh, that, you know, it, there might be current people that use it. People really don't like it when things get taken away, but it feels like it's true. we could hide that for new users and just see what happens. Like.
0: Yeah, I mean you could hide it for new users and and kind of fix the problems that are there for the existing people and mm. then maybe re-enable it or
1: Yeah. Something. Yeah. I'm big on this like simplifying <laughs> simplifying things. <laughs> like Jason Cohen when he said bootstrapping is already hard. Don't make it harder. I just hmm. keep thinking about that all the time and yep. it relates to everything we've talked about today like what market you choose all of that stuff it's like yes you could do this but bootstrapping is already hard so don't make it harder on yourself
0: like yeah and we maybe we did that
1: yeah yeah exactly <laughs> uh before we go today and this is related i just we're a podcast company so i wanted to talk about apple's keynote today it's monday june uh-huh. 3rd uh, WWDC, they announced a new desktop podcast app. Um, they're basically killing iTunes. So iTunes has had music and movies and TV and podcasts since 2005. I looked it up. So for 14 years since iTunes 4.9, uh, podcasts have wow. been in the, um,
0: it's the end of an era. It's
1: the end of an era to the point actually where a lot of when people are asking us you know, in our support forums and other things, they'll still refer to Apple Podcasts as iTunes. Right. And so it'll be interesting to see how long that takes to get rid of it. But <laughs> uh, yeah, so they're, they have a separate podcast app on the desktop now in the same way that they have a podcast app on the phone. Also interesting, and I think it'll be interesting to see how this plays out, is they are doing um, basically... Transcription in the background, and that will allow you to do text based search in audio.
0: So it does, yeah, it doesn't sound like they're doing any like transcriptions for like reading purposes. No, it's mostly for like SEO and stuff. Yeah,
1: for search. Um, And the screenshot I saw, I I might be wrong on this, but the screenshot I saw was it actually jumped to that point in the show. Hmm. So if you searched for, uh, if I said uh, bamboozled banana in this show, like I just did, theoretically, you'll be able to search for bamboozled banana and and come exactly to this point in the show.
0: You should set yourself a reminder to, <laughs> to try that out whenever they release that.
1: Yeah, I wonder if the beta is available now. We should test this out. <laughs> so... Uh, really good news for the podcast industry. It, the, and uh, it's not very often that podcasts get kind of center stage at an Apple event. And so the fact that it was center stage both at the Apple event and at the last Google I.O. event, uh, yep. there it was podcasting was mentioned in both places. This is, uh, I think, good signs for the podcast industry.
0: I think so, too. Yeah, I mean... You know, kind of podcast started with Apple. Yeah. I I like that they're bringing out some new stuff.
1: Yes, totally. Uh, So let's uh, thank everyone who supported us on Patreon.
0: As always, thank you to all of our supporters on Patreon for making this show possible. Uh, We have Ivan Kirkovic, Brian Ray, Miguel Piedrafita, Shane Smith, Austin Loveless, Simon Bennett, Corey Haynes, Michael Sitver, Paul Jarvis and Jack Ellis, Dan Buda, Buda (laughs) DanBuda.com, Darby Frey, Samori Augusto, Dave Young, Brad from Canada, Kevin Markham, Sammy Shukert, Dan Erickson, Mike Walker, Adam Devander, Dave Junta, Junta. Kyle Fox at GetRewardful.com, and ProfitWell and Redash.
1: Yeah, thanks again, everybody. Uh, And again, I said this last week, but I recognize a lot of names of folks that are right there with us, building their own thing. And uh, yeah, it just means a lot that we have this community of people and we're all doing this together. And uh, in our case, we're sharing our story. But there's other people on this list, like Simon Bennett, that have started their own podcasts. I'll put it in the show notes, all the other folks that on this list that have started podcasts. And they're sharing their journey as well. And I just think that's significant that uh, that's happening. I think, it's good for, I think it's good for the community. I think it's good for co-founders to meet every week and talk. Uh, just seems like a lot of benefits uh, with uh, what's kind of happening right now. So I, I really appreciate it. And we'll see you next week. Every podcast session with you now is John Buddha between two ferns. Podcast hosting is provided by Transistor.fm. They host our MP3 files, generate our RSS feed, provide us with analytics, and help us distribute the show to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. If you want to start your own podcast or you want to switch to Transistor, go to Transistor.fm slash Justin and get 15% off your first year.